0: Okay, we're doing another. Well, we've been doing a section on Satan, the devil, who he is. We talked about who he is and where he came from and where he's going. That's I guess the best part is where he's going and what's going to become of him. And there's two things you always want to remember. Satan's fall came from pride. It says his heart was lifted up because of his beauty. He was a fantastic creation of God. uh, Beautiful and wonderful, capable. uh, But he began to think that he could be God. And so uh, he rebelled against God and said, I'm going to be like God. I'm going to take God's place. That could never happen, but that's what came to him and as sin entered in got a good hold on him then we find he's violent and he's a murderer and he's a liar and a deceiver and subtle in all his ways and we looked at him first of all his beginnings and then we looked at his working on jesus during the temptations last week we talked about the final end of him as he is thrown in a bottomless pit for a thousand years released for a short time and then finally cast into the lake of fire we talked about the four different dimensions of existence and where he would end up him and his angels would end up there we're going to go on a little bit more about judgment today but i had a question laying on my desk here Sunday morning. Somebody asked about Satan. And I'm going to answer that question first because it fits in with our theme. And I'm happy to do that. Always happy to answer the questions. Somebody's been reading. We like it. I don't know who it was that turned the question in. But uh, we like it when people read and then say, I don't get it. Answer this question. So I'm going to do that because it's going to help us get into what we're going to say tonight. Uh, First Chronicles chapter number 21. First Chronicles chapter number 21. This is a question that was put up here. that I'm going to answer as part of what we're going to say tonight. And now remember Satan's fall was from pride and his rebellion is against God. That's who he is. Right now, this must have caught somebody's attention. First Chronicles 21, Satan stood up against Israel and provoked David to number Israel. And David said to Joab and to the rulers of the people, go number Israel from Beersheba even to Dan and bring the number of them to me that I may know it. And so David Uh, it says, was provoked by Satan to number Israel. That is to count in particular the warriors, the men who could stand up and fight. And that was his desire to do that. And it says Satan provoked him to do it. Satan pushed him into doing it. And so, verse three. Job and Joab answered, "The Lord make his people a hundred times so many more as they be. But my Lord, the king, are they not all my Lord's servants? Why then doth my Lord require this thing, and why will he cause a trespass to Israel?" Now, Joab was the commander of David's army. Joab was a powerful individual in himself. Sometimes, now. Eh, Sometimes not so good. Sometimes he got after David and straightened David out. And sometimes he got right in and did the wrong thing. And he ended up on a very bad side. But Joab uh, knew how to talk to David. And he said to David, you can't do this thing. You can't number the people. It's not the right thing to do. And then he actually quotes something back in Deuteronomy. If you want to turn there, the fifth book of the Bible is Deuteronomy. Chapter number one is Deuteronomy chapter number one. And this is what God is saying to the children of Israel as they're about to enter the promised land. And they're going to enter the promised land and take it over. And in verse 11, Deuteronomy 1.11, The Lord God of your fathers make you a thousand times so many more as you are and bless you as he hath promised you. And so the promise to Israel is God's going to just make you grow and grow by the thousands. And he said, don't you worry about it. I'm going to bless you to do that. And so if... David starts counting. I want to know why he's counting and why it's a bad thing to do. Well, it's kind of, you got to check up and see if the Lord's doing his work. (laughs) Maybe a little bit of that and there's something a little more to it. Because if I can say I got 500,000 armed warriors on my side, then I'm big shot. I'm a little, think I'm something special. And so, verse 4, back in First Chronicles 21, Nevertheless the king's word prevailed against Joab. Therefore Joab departed and went throughout all Israel, came to Jerusalem. Joab gave the sum of the number of the people to David. All they of Israel were a thousand thousand and a hundred thousand men that drew sword. Judah was four hundred three score and ten thousand men that drew sword. But Levi and Benjamin counted he not among them. For the king's word was abominable to Joab. And God was displeased with this thing. Therefore he smote Israel so david's action was probably mostly from pride you ever hear that why do you think satan's so good at getting people pride because he knows how it works and so he says that david said i'm gonna number my people and i'll be pretty proud of all these people that are in my control in my army and Joab finally says i'm I'm not going to finish this job. It's not the right thing to do. And God is not pleased with it either. God says he's going to smote Israel. And so he gives David some choices. You get to choose. You're going to fight with an army. You're going to do this or that. Or we can have pestilence. Their own type of COVID. You get to choose. And David said, I'd rather have the disease Then fight and let other people beat me in battle. There's a little pride there too. And so uh, uh, God sent a disease. And it went through the people, as you're familiar with, right? It went through the people and God finally allowed it to stop just before they got to Jerusalem. And so the question is, I guess... It says here that Satan provoked David to do that. Why did that happen? Now, look over at 2 Samuel. 2 Samuel. Chapter 24. We have the same story, but a very different introduction. 2 Samuel 24. Same thing, same event. I want you to pay very close attention here so we can get the general idea. 2nd Samuel 24. And again the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel and he moved David against them to say go number Israel and Judah. Now, that's a different story. First, and the other one in Chronicles is said Satan uh, moved David. Now here it says God had he was angry with Israel, and so he moved David. All right. So who did it? Satan or God? It says both of them. Right? That both of them did it. Well, we gotta pay very close attention. It says, God was angry with Israel. God was angry with Israel. And when God's angry with us, he has to do something to chastise us, to correct our behavior. So Israel was ignoring God and doing what they felt like. And they kind of got their lead from David, who also was doing what he felt like. And so God steps in and says, Go ahead, Satan. I will allow you to move, it said, David. So God allowed Satan to move David. You say, you mean God's letting Satan loose and telling him, get after this one, get after that one? Well, there's a very specific reason. Because David happened to be movable, if you will. (laughs) There's a weakness in David. There's a weakness in David, and he has led the nation in sort of a poor way for a while. And so he's got this weakness. And so uh, God needs to chastise, he's going to chastise the whole country for their lack of fire. And Satan is allowed to move on David to push him in a direction that he was headed anyway. He was going that way anyway. All right? And so Satan is a tool in God's hand. You see him as a tool in God's hand because David had a natural bend in his character, uh, which was uh, rebellion so he's proud, there's pride up there, and he tends to rebel, and there's that. And so David is doing the same thing, and he's rebelling. God said, you don't need to number my people, you never need to go count my people, because I promised you I was going to increase them thousands by thousands. And the nation had grown and was a good sized nation by that time. And uh, the God said I took care of you. There's plenty of you there. I've blessed you. You don't need to count. So you have a number. all right? And so God is bringing chastisement. Satan is just a tool in God's hand to chastise David. And the Prophet Gad comes along and says, look, you know, God's going to give you three choices. You messed up and you get to make one of these choices. They're all bad. There's no good choices because when you go against God, you don't get good choices. You've got to pay for what you have done. Right? And so the point is there's a day of judgment. Satan rebelled. And we go to Adam. And I told you that the Bible says. Eve was deceived by Satan. But Adam was not deceived. Now if Eve was deceived. She was fooled into believing Satan's lie. That the fruit of that tree was going to be good. And enlightening to your mind. She got fooled. But not Adam. Says he was not deceived. So if he rebelled. He did it with his eyes wide open. He knew he shouldn't do it, and he did it anyway. So what comes to us as Adam's children? We have a natural rebellion born into us. There it is coming out in David. So that brings us to what we want to talk about today. Uh, God cannot allow... Rebellion. You said, well, it seems like the world's full of it now. That's right. God, we showed God being patient with people, giving them time to repent. You say, well, they don't look like they're repenting, <laughs> but they got time. They're given a choice. They got time to repent. But God, in the end, must take care of Of business, everything that's unjust and evil is going to be taken care of. Nobody gets away with anything. You say, well, the government does. No, they don't. They are not getting away with it. You think it looks to us like that. It's not going to happen. God is going to bring judgment to this world. And it is as sure a thing as we are alive. You're sitting here tonight. You can be absolutely certain that God is going to judge the world. He is going to make everything come out right. And that's what we're going to talk about tonight. Now, Satan, we talked about him being judged for his rebellion. We talked about a thousand years in a pit, in the bottomless pit, right? He's released, and he goes out, and he deceives the nation. Turn over to Revelations chapter 20, where we left off last week. Revelations chapter 20. Now here's, uh, we saw him cast into the pit for a thousand years. Verse 2, he laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent, which is a devil, and Satan bound him a thousand years, cast him into the bottomless pit. Verse 7, when the thousand years are expired, Satan shall be loosed out of his prison, out of that bottomless pit, shall go out to deceive the nations which were in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle, the number of whom is as the sand of the sea. Now, what's happened? Here's where where we are in history at that point. There has been the reign of Christ for a thousand years. Christ has come to this world. The Antichrist raised up an army against Israel. God came. Jesus came. He returned to this world. And he set up a thousand year reign. He reigned for a thousand years over the world. And he showed us everything we'd done wrong. Man, we could use him today. Right? He'd like to have him come today and say, show us. Show us how to do it. Show us what to do. And he will really change the world when he reigns. He says all the weapons are going to be beaten into plowshares. There'll be no more war anymore for a thousand years. No one will ever raise a gun or a bomb or a sword Uh, the animal kingdom has a stress pulled out of it so that the lions can lay down with the lambs and children can play with poisonous snakes and uh, the knowledge of God is spread through the whole world everybody has learned about God and Jesus is controlling the government of the whole world for a thousand years you say that must be something You betcha. What a time, right? When it's over, Satan gets a chance, okay? I'm going to let you out for a few minutes. And before you know it, he's convinced half, three-quarters of the world to rebel against God again. And they move on the, the city of Jerusalem. It says, how many? He says... Countless numbers like the sands of the sea. So you ask yourself, you watched Christ reign for a thousand years. You watched him take all the confusion of this world, wipe it out, fill the world with the knowledge of God. And then what did the humans do as soon as they got a chance? Rebelled. They rebelled. You think it's hard to imagine. You say, why couldn't you look at Christ's kingdom and say, this is the way it's supposed to be? No, they rebelled big time at the end. Satan came out of that thousand years, out of that pit, he's released, and he led three quarters of the world in in a rebellion against God, just like that. So it seems that. One of the things you don't understand about that thousand years, it's not a remade world. It's this world, just like you're seeing it today. Christ will come into this kind of world and take over and just start legislating and changing the way things work. And he will take this world with these kind of people in it and make a kingdom. The millennial kingdom, we call it, a thousand-year reign. And it'll become a wonderful place under his leadership and guidance. And so it's a thousand years and people rebel. It's this world. It's not any remade world. It's this world. There's only one thing that's going to be different about it. Uh, Well, God will allow life because uh, he'll understand medicine. We don't, we don't get it. We can't figure out COVID. All right? Nobody can figure out what to do with all that. Uh, he'll understand medicine and he will set it straight so that uh, it'll say that when you're 100 years old, it says in the millennium, you'll be considered a child. Now, if you're 100 years old now, you're an old coot, Right. You're 100, you're an old timer, right? But in the millennium, people are going to live and live and live because God's going to fix things and help us to understand medicines and all sorts of things. And so people are going to live a long time during the millennium. The age of people will begin to expand. Now in the beginning, right, Adam and Eve were made. They were living a thousand years. People were living a thousand years. Humans took over the world and the lifespan got shorter and shorter. Went down to 120 years and then it went down to 70. Where We're a little bit over that now only because of uh, modern medicine uh, but not much else. So uh, uh, you know, the, the lifespan shorten shortened. Christ comes, he makes everything right. It's kind of going to be like the Garden of Eden. He's going to make the world like the Garden of Eden, and then people are going to start to live longer and longer. And so there will be some things different, but basically, it's this world taken over by Jesus and being run. Now, we want to talk about then, uh, after that. Thousand years of prosperity and peace and the knowledge of God, the world rebels, and that takes us down to uh, verse. 4 let's look at chapter 20 revelation verse 4 i saw thrones they sat upon them and judgment was given unto them and i saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of jesus for the word of god which had not worshiped the beast neither his image neither had received his mark on their foreheads or on their hands they lived and reigned with christ a thousand years but the rest of the dead lived not again until a thousand years were finished this is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. On such the second death has no power. They shall be priests of God and of Christ. And shall reign with him a thousand years. So. We have two resurrections described in the Bible. The first one he calls it the first resurrection. And. Uh, that, he said, if you're part of that, that's a really good thing. You will be here, and apparently during that thousand years, you'll come and help Christ set up his kingdom and be a part of it. Now, I don't know what we're going to do. Some of us will have work to do. Some of us will be teachers and sent out to teach. Some of us will be building because he'll be making the world very prosperous. And we'll do all sorts of things. Just like we do today. Only much more successfully under Christ. But we will help him set up his kingdom. And he says that's the first resurrection. That's what happens. Now, uh, in that first resurrection, something happens with Christians. And so the first resurrection has to do with people who believe. You can put Christians down there, believers, people who believe God, who accepted Christ as their Savior. They're part of that first resurrection, which is literally a body resurrection. It's a body resurrection. We will have bodies, all right? And 1 uh, Thessalonians, keep your finger we'll come back here to Revelation 20. The first Thessalonians a few books back a couple of those short books a teaser the T's are all together and first Thessalonians chapter four here's a part of that first resurrection first Thessalonians chapter four verse 13 But I would have not you be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that you sorrow not even of those which have no hope. And he's talking about people who have already died. The people in Thessalonica were worried about their loved ones that had already died. What's going to happen to them? He said, don't worry about them. Verse 14. If we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep or have already died in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that ye which are alive and remain to the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout. The voice of the archangel, and the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. And we which are alive and remain shall be caught together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So shall we ever be with the Lord. Comfort one another with these words so he says there's a moment in time when god returns when christ will blow this trumpet and you'll hear it we'll hear it and he says at that moment when he does the people who have already died who believe in christ will resurrect that means they will come out of their graves if you will uh, and be given back a body. A better one than this one. All right? This one has its flaws. So does your. You got some flaws in your. Yeah you got a couple flaws don't you. We all got a few flaws don't we. Alright. Uh, this new body will not have flaws. We will be given this wonderful new body. So when that moment in time comes. When Jesus comes and blows that trumpet that's a call to the people who are dead that's why we put people in a cemetery the way we do because we believe that we make sure that when they sit up they're facing east it's just kind of a funny thing that we do but we do that we lay people in a grave in a cemetery uh point is you'll hear the trumpet and you'll sit up and you'll be looking east because he says he's coming through the eastern sky and that's why we do that uh, if that's exactly how it works I'm not going to answer because I'm not sure uh, but it, they we're definitely going to have a new body and it says when we hear that trumpet those people will rise from their graves all over the world and in a human form uh, be alive again with a human body. And he says, Us, we will be changed in as long as it takes to blink your eyes. Just like that, you'll have one of those bodies too. Wow. That's one of those feelings I can't wait to feel. <laughs> uh, you're kidding? You kidding? Just blink your eyes and, ooh, that felt good. Right? You get a new body. And so he says the dead will rise. That is, they come from heaven where the Christ took them to heaven. They're going to come from heaven, take up a body, and it says we will change and we will meet up in the air. It doesn't say they come here. It says we'll meet up in the air. And so we have a changed body. I remember standing next to my mother's cousin, Louise, who had arthritis and locked her in position for over 50 years. She hadn't moved in over 50 years. And she was a wonderful believer in Christ. And I remember talking about this with her. That's how she laid in bed for over 50 years like that. I said, can you imagine, Louise, what it'll be like? She said, I think about that a lot. I think about that a lot. When I'll be free to move again. Well, that was, it's a wonderful thought. And so there's the first resurrection. And you all want to know exactly when that is. I'm not going to tell you. Because I don't know. A lot of people have very definite opinions about that. Uh, I have what I think is probably the way it is, but I'm not gonna tell you, because that doesn't matter. If that mattered, it would have been clear as crystal. It's the fact that it's gonna happen is what matters. All right, and so that's the first resurrection. But, but, You think, well, it's as free and clear as we can ever want to be. Hold it. Hold it a minute. Let's go over to 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter number 3. 1 Corinthians chapter number 3. Now, we have this resurrection, first resurrection for people who believe given a new body. But there's also a day of judgment for those people. And here's the explanation of it. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 verse 11. For other foundation can no man lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. If any man build on this foundation... Gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble. Every man's work shall be made manifest. For the day shall declare. What day? That day when we come to that first resurrection. Because it shall be revealed by fire. Fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide which he has built thereon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss. But he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. And so there's a judgment day, a day of reckoning coming for believers. It's described here that uh, God's going to look over our lives going to look at our lives and say, what did you do for me? Did you do with your life for me? Let me see what you did. And uh, some of it is going to shine. Fire will clean it up and it will be beautiful. And some of it is going to be made of wood or hay or stubble and it's going to be gone. And God is going to be looking at our lives individually, one at a time. Stand up. Here you go. Let's see what you did for me. What would you do for me? And God will set that up to see who gets rewarded. Now it says, if you didn't do anything for God, but you trusted in him and asked him to forgive you, and, but you never did anything for him, he said, your work will be burned up. You won't get any reward, but you'll still live. Because you... Are saved by fire. So the judgment. Of Satan. Which came and God said you're off into the lake of fire. That day has already been for you and I. We're done with that day. When did that happen? When Jesus died on the cross. That was our day. To pay for what we did and Jesus said I'll pay for them they trusted in me I'll pay for them so the judgment day for Christians was when Christ died on a cross and the wrath of God the Bible says was poured on to Jesus on the cross he took it for us and so there on the cross that, that's just hmm. What a day, what a day that was for you and me when we could look there and we say there's where my judgment went on Christ. We still have our works that we have to answer for, what we do for God. Not our salvation, he paid for that, but our works. He asks us to serve him and to be part of his kingdom and, and establish his kingdom and extend the kingdom. And so if we're doing that in some way, working together with other people in a church, reaching out to the community around us, and that's what God expects us to be doing. Some people it says he's going to require much from because he gave him much. And the Bible says in them, "If he gave you a cup of cold water, then that's what he'll ask for. If all he gave you was a cup of cold water, he expects you to give that to somebody else." And so, the uh, that moment comes when we are asked, and gone. Our lives are gone through, and somewhere uh, we face that kind of a judgment. It's more of an accounting of life because the real judgment uh, is not right there for us, all right? Uh, Now, let's take a look back at Revelation 20. Satan is released. He deceived the world in verse 9. And they went up on the breath of the earth and compassed the camp of the saints about the beloved city. Fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. It's very simple. The people who rebel against God, that last moment in history, <whistles> wiped out. Devil deceived them, was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beasts of the false prophet are, and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. Now comes. The next moment in judgment, I saw a great white throne, him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away. There was found no place for them. Now whose face are they afraid of? Jesus. Jesus' face. And Jesus himself described it. He says, when the day comes, when I come to sit as that judge on that white throne, that's Jesus himself. The Father does not sit on that throne, nor the Spirit. Jesus is allowed to judge the whole human population. He does it on that throne. All right? And when they see him coming, they're terrified. They better be terrified because it says there's no place found for them. There's no escape. Verse 12, I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. The books were open. Another book was open, which is the book of life. The dead were judged out of those things which are written in the books according to their works. The sea gave up the dead which were in it. Death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged every man according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. So we have a second resurrection second rising. And this is all the people who rebelled. From Cain to the last ones that were devoured there with the fire of God. All of them now have got to stand and give account at the white throne. And, and they come from everywhere. Wherever they have died and gone, they have gone. Now we said last week there's four dimensions. There's heaven, God's throne. There was hell, which we call Sheol, which was a place of the dead. On one side were forgiven saints, on the other side were uh, the rebels against God. Okay? And then there was the dimension of the air, where Satan moves about, and then the earth the dimension where we live in. And so when God calls to this white judgment throne, now you remember, when Jesus rose from the dead, he descended down to the place of the dead. It says he took captivity captive, or that is he took the people who were forgiven under the blood of Christ and moved them out of that place to heaven. The rebels are still there to this day. They are still in that dimension to this day, tormented in a certain way. They will be called out of hell. So it says death and hell, which is this place, is emptied out, and they're brought up to the great white throne, judgment throne of God. And he will read the story of their lives, every opportunity they had to believe and rejected, and then he will open the book of life and their names won't be in it, and they will be cast into the lake of fire along with Satan. The lake of fire. So that's the entire judgment of the whole human population. Believers were part of the first resurrection. They escaped that. All right. They were okay because Christ on the cross took care of their judgment day. This is a judgment day for everybody else. That's why I said nobody got away with anything. Nobody got away with anything. Nobody murdered or anything else and got away with it. If you murdered somebody... You're going to answer for it that day. Or you could ask God to forgive you. And Christ would pay for it. You could do that. Christ would pay for it. Isn't that something? Mm-hmm. You could pay for that. Uh, but if you didn't ask him. Then that's the day when everything comes out. And so nothing. Nobody got away with anything. Right? And these these events happen. Now we just for to tie it up, uh, chapter 21. I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven, the first earth were passed away. there was no more sea. And I, John saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adored for her husband. So this place, Sheol, the place that is dead, is now empty. It was first half of us removed went to heaven. Uh, And then the other half are called to the white throne judgment, so that place ceases to have any use. That dimension of existence is no longer needed. It's gone. Heaven and earth are going to come together. So he says, I saw a new earth, and heaven came down onto earth. So this dim- these two dimensions that have been separate dimensions become one dimension. Heaven comes down to earth, no longer any need for the sun on earth no sea anymore on earth. And there is one thing that God does to kind of clean things up Second uh, uh, Peter, back a few pages to Second Peter uh, God uh, takes us out of here just for a minute and says watch this I'm going to clean the mess up. Second <laughs> Peter uh, chapter 3, verse 10. The day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, when the heavens shall pass away with a great noise. The elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Seeing then that all these things be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in all holy conversation and godliness, looking for and hastening unto the coming of the day of God, when the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with a fervent heat. So God's going to clean the place off. You think you look, go down New York City, and say, what are you going to do with all this? He's going to melt it all. Anything that's humanly built at that time will be wiped off with fire. So your house and mine isn't going to last <laughs> into the new world, all right? Mine may not make it, you know, the next century. Uh, you know, thing, things are falling apart down here, and God's going to clean it up. He's going to clean the world up with fire. He's going he's gonna, to uh, wipe out human... Uh, buildings and human everything melt those things and it says the heavens too are going to cease to be because the, exist, the existence of the earth in the time space continuum dimension that we live in and part of that is the stars and the sun and the moon that's in our dimension you could travel there if you could get there you won't but you could we, it's still in our dimension. All right. But those are going to disappear. Because the Bible says we don't need them anymore. Because when Christ comes down to earth, he's light enough to light the whole world. And it said there's no need of the sun. Jesus will be the sun. So they're going to melt the world, clean it off, remake it. So you and I are going to be get to be eyewitnesses of another creation it says that the angels who saw the first one, or maybe the second one, depending on your point of view. But the angels watched as God said, let there be light. And and God said, let the waters move and let the dry land come up. That must have been something. These huge mountain ranges, the earth's crust, cracked these huge mountain ranges like the Rocky Mountains came up out of the water. And the water went rushing down. And they said the angels watched it and shouted for joy. Oh, look at that. And then he said, let's make it all green with plants and trees. Whoosh! And it all turned green. And they shouted for joy. He said, let's put a few things in the ocean, shall we? And he put everything from goldfish to great big whales and sharks. Whoosh, there they were. The oceans were teeming with life. Now let's fill the world with life. And he filled the world with life. Then finally he said, it's time to put a man and a woman. And he put a man and a woman down there. And he said, "This." the angels shouted for joy. You and I are going to be eyewitnesses of that someday when God recreates the new world after he burns off the trash that we've left on this world. People run around, they're going to save the oceans. <laughs> oh, they're so, they're so shallow. God's going to save everything needs saving. Not us, God. He's going to take care of it. And so he's going to recreate, and these dimensions will change Uh, The air dimension where Satan moved no longer necessary because you and I have redeemed bodies. We can do what we want. The lake of fire will still exist where those people who rebel against God will stay forever. And the new heaven and the new earth become one dimension as God changes the entire structure of creation and sets it on a new framework. Now... Jesus is trying to communicate to us about judgment. I want to teach you about judgment. And as I told you, the best person to go for any information is Jesus. Nobody better. All right, Matthew chapter 25. One of the great chapters of the Bible, prophetic chapter, Matthew 25. Here, Jesus describes Judgment Day. And it's Judgment Day, not really like we've described here, but it's, I would say, as He's describing Judgment Day, He's describing the way He thinks. And the way we've got to figure out how to think this way. All right? And when he judges, he always judges fairly. And Jesus' point of view, as he's about to show us, is here's the thing you haven't figured out yet how this works. <laughs> I like the way Jesus works here. Let's take a look now. Matthew 25, verse 31. Son of man shall come in his glory and all the holy angels with him. Then shall he sit on the throne of his glory. And before him shall be gathered all nations. He shall separate them one from another. As a shepherd divideth his sheep from the goats. He shall set the sheep on his right hand the goats on his left hand. We're the sheep. We're in the first generation. The first resurrection. The goats are in the second. in the white throne judgment. People who rebelled. So they're separated. Their judgment doesn't come together. They're separated. All right. He says. Now let's talk about this sheep. Verse 34. Then the king shall say to them on his right hand, Come ye blessed of my father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Come to this new world that I'm going to make. For I was hungered, and you gave me meat. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in naked, and you clothed me sick, and you visited me, and in prison you came unto me. Then shall the righteous answer him, saying, Lord, when saw we thee hungered and fed thee, or thirsty, and gave thee drink? When saw thee a stranger, and took thee in or naked, and clothed thee? When saw we thee sick in prison, and came to thee? The king shall answer to them, Verily, as I say unto you, And as much much you have done it unto one of the least of these my brethren, You have done it unto me. So, when the judgment day comes, You and I are going to stand and give our account. Nobody gets out of that. Say, Christ died for me, I'm free. No, you still got to give account. When you give an account, Jesus said, you're going to be surprised. I'm going to say, you did something really good. He said, I can't remember doing that for you, Lord. He you did it for some little person that was unnoticed, but I saw. I was watching. And so the point that Jesus is making is we are really missing the point when it comes to the judgment of God, because he says, when the day comes and I say, here, you did this and you did that. And we'll say, I can't remember doing that. I wasn't thinking about that. No, he said, you weren't. But this is what it is. He said, I'm going to ask you to be unselfish and to think of others. And to spend your energy and your time in the service of others. And as you do that, I'm going to count as you being faithful to me. So you're going to do something for somebody else. You're going to help somebody else. You're going to give somebody... Food and somebody you're going to visit when they need help. And, and you're, you're going to do those things for others. And you're going to spend your energy in life. And every one of those things I'm going to count up as being done to me personally. So much so that we don't even, I can't grasp it. When he says, you did this, I can't remember. I don't, I don't, I, I don't know what you're talking about. Of course, the opposite comes the other way. Verse 41, he shall say to them on the left hand, Depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, you gave me no meat. Thirsty, and you gave me no drink stranger you took me not in naked and you clothed me not sick and in prison and visited me not then shall they also answer him saying Lord when saw we thee hungered or a thirst, or stranger naked or sick or in prison and did not minister unto thee and he shall say unto them verily I say unto you much as you have done it to one of the least of these you did it not to me these shall go away to everlasting punishment but to righteousness to eternal life so What Jesus is trying to communicate is that in the judgment day, there are things that he weighs very heavily that we don't even think about. We don't think about those in judgment. He's weighing them very, he's put a great weight on what we do for others. And so that the primary force driving our choices of living is are we going to be selfish or not? Jesus is trying to say are you going to give for others or not It's going to be for yourself are you going to give for others that's how he's looking at judgment and that's why he describes it to us here because he wants us to grasp something that we'll be surprised at what God was watching and weighing and considering to be important self centeredness not a part of what god wants to do so um, matthew 7 as we finish up tonight matthew 7 we've learned about the judgment day for believers the first resurrection, when we get our bodies, new bodies, uh, being part of the millennial kingdom. The second rebellion that comes up, led by Satan, defeated thoroughly. Uh, then the judgment day for those who rejected him as God sends every one of them, sits down and says, This is what you did. Your name is not in my book. All right, and he wants us to get this. Matthew 7, verse 21. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many shall say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name cast out devils, and thy name done many wonderful works? Then I will profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me ye that work iniquity. So, very clear here. It's not religious things that we do. And even if they look really good to the rest of the world, that guy can cast out demons and that guy can prophesy. I would give you five cents for anybody that prophesies. I'm not interested in them. I don't care what they say. I don't want somebody to stand up and say, I'm going to prophesy. Never mind that. Never mind that. I'm looking for somebody to help. Okay? Somebody that needs help. Somebody we can reach out to. That's where God's eyes are. Now here's what he says. I never knew you and so the most important thing about judgment is we avoid it by knowing God. You've got to build a relationship with him by talking to him. And reading about him and talking to him. You can't just read about him, although I want you to read your Bible from cover to cover and get into every verse and grasp it to your fullest extent. But if you grasp the Bible, your first thing is going to bring you to this over and over again. How well do you know God? You know, it's like somebody I, I know all about people, but I never met them. Right? You know about people, but not know them, Right? There's a lot of people that know a lot about God, but don't know him personally. Our personal relationship with God, you talk to him. I don't know how to make a relationship with somebody and never talk to (laughs) him. People do try that, you know. Don't talk to me. We'll be friends, just don't talk to me. Well, you can't really be friends unless you talk, right? You got to talk to God. Got to talk to him. And this is how he's viewing it. People come up and say, man, we did marvelous things in your name. But I didn't know you. We didn't talk. I didn't have a relationship with you. That's what we want. So that's really uh, the way to handle the judgment day that's coming. Know that we're going to give answer for what we've done. Understand that we give answer for what we've done. But God will not allow anything to be any action that's rebellion to go unpunished that must be punished. Any action that is faithful service for the Lord that must be rewarded. So you get rewarded. Or punished, one or the other. That's the way the judgment of God is. And God doesn't want to judge sinners. There's no pleasure in the great white throne when God's sending them off, telling them, I never knew you, cast them into the lake of fire. God doesn't get one ounce of pleasure out of that. It breaks his heart. But he can't be a holy, just God and just turn his back on that. let people do what they want. So don't worry about this world and you're looking out across you and say, well, this is so backwards and upside down. How's it ever going to be right? He's going to fix it. He's going to fix it. It'll never get beyond his ability, and everyone must give an answer to him. He personally will be speaking to each person someday that kind of makes me shiver a little but I got to get busy right make sure I do everything in my power so that when I'm standing there I can say I did everything I could that's what Jesus says. that's what you want to be able to say when he says when you have done make sure that you can say to God I did everything I could that's what we want to say All right? So the judgment of God. We'll go on a little bit more next week. Thank you.